Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, Asher bakarbanu mikol hamim, Venatan lanu et torato. Baruch atah Adonai, Noten Amen. Amen HaKadosh Baruch Hu. May you continue to bring us through the redemption, and may you continue to elevate us as we count the Omer with the anticipation of the arrival of Mashiach Yeshua speedily and soon in our days. Amen. Well, I just want to say shalom and hug some mayak to everyone. I uh, hope you are having a wonderful Pesach and that everything since the Seder has been nothing but turned up. So um, that is the meaning of everything that we've been experiencing over these past three days. And yes, there has been three days since we have uh, left the 14th of Nissan and we are now uh, at the 16th of Nissan per this podcast. So just want to uh, start off with a few things on what we actually partook of in the Seder meal, because the Seder plates, it links to Mashiach, like every element on that plate links to Mashiach. So what uh, this is brought down by Rabbi Yaron Reuven, as well as paired up with Rabbi Ari Goldwag. And again, I say he's not just a singer. He's also a rabbi. So uh, and a very violent one at that. So between the two of them, uh, Rabbi Yaron Reuven, who I call Rabbi Left Hook, he was bringing down the secrets of the Pesach Seder and um, he didn't really go into it, but it's definitely a Kabbalistic, Hasidic um, insight as far as all of these different elements somehow connect us to Mashiach Yeshua. And then I go over to Rabbi Goldwag, who brings down from his Rosh Yeshivas, uh, he has a Haggadah, the Rosh Yeshiva that he is affiliated with has a Haggadah. And in that, the Rosh Hashiva brings down an insight that um, the, the meal of the Seder is helping us get to a place of bitakon. And I just want to drop down real quick about bitakon from the Targum, the Dictionary of the Targumim. Bitakon spelled bet tet Chet Vav Noon. It means trust, faith, and hope. So one of the things that you have to do with Bitakon is it is at the level of whatever happens, there's a purpose to it. So Amuna is the fact that we trust in Hashem and we are faithful to Hashem. But Bitakon is like, aligning yourself so to speak with Hashem to the point where you're like this is not a pleasant situation for me but it has to happen because Hashem is doing something here and I'm getting the opportunity to partner with him in that and everything that I need to overcome this situation Hashem already has that in place so you now pray from a position of okay Hashem help me to follow where you're leading me, help me to understand what you're showing me. 
And, you know, really, if you think about that, that kind of ties back to what Zakin Yosef brings down in the Chesed class that, you know, you have to you have to step back. And sometimes when things are really crazy in your world and just acknowledge Hashem, you just have to just stop. You have to be like, you know what? I'm not in control. Hashem, you are in control. And so when you look at the fact that we're partaking of this, these elements, or we did partake of these elements, Baruch Hashem, you know, and we've made our way out of Mitzrayim, and now we're into the journey to the Yom Suf. And uh, yes, the bones of Yosef are with us, so that is definitely a plus on our end. But when you look at this fact of Mashiach's essence, and then you have the level of understanding what Hashem is doing, you know, because now you're you're crying out to him. And I mentioned in prayers during Shakarit of our uh, Yom Tov service on Shabbat that may we be encouraged to cry out with the voice of Yaakov, which, by the way, the voice of Yaakov is Torah study, but it's also davening with our Sadur. It's also davening from our heart, you know, as far as, you know, you're looking at a situation and what's on your heart, like cry it out to Hashem, you know, and I know for me, just continuing to um, ask Hashem for the fresh matzah that, you know, that we're partaking of for these seven days of, of my emuna, of my bitakon, of my just re- relation and connection with Hashem. Like, I want more, you know, I really want more of your freedom that you allowed me to partake of on the 14th of Nisan going into the 15th of Nisan. And, you know, I was very fortunate to have a double Seder, which was kind of cool because, you know, obviously I was with Spider-Man for the first Seder, uh, the amazing Chazan. And uh, yeah, he is definitely legit. It was definitely very violent. Uh, it was the most violent, peaceful, lit Seder that I could ever be a part of. Side note, that was the most yayin that I have consumed in my entire existence on this earth. <laughs> that was a lot. Because normally I'm a grape juice guy. I love sparkling grape juice and I love just uh, Kadeem, no, Ketzer or Kesser is the way this bottle is labeled. That is my ultimate favorite. So shout out to Kesser. But, you know, for my Seder, I went straight Genese, you know, Kosher Le Pesach, Yain. For real. And uh, yeah, so it was it was pretty cool. So uh, bless Hashem that I did not have a hangover because, again, I'm not accustomed to drinking that. And uh, yeah, so you can call me a lightweight. But yeah, anyway. So after I finished digressing back to the point, just asking Hashem to really allow me to tap into all these levels that are now available, you know, um, you know, just to be cliche, of course, because I am Shomer, man. Got to throw that out there, you know, in the in the uh, in the overlay and the picture of being a Avenger, you know, being able to tap into my superpowers kind of thing. And I want to encourage you as well. You know, Torah is so ridiculous. Like, obviously, we know that. But now, especially after we've 
experienced the first day of Pesach and we are now counting the Omer, we really need to get ridiculous. I mean, things that are getting shared, you know, like eat it up and throw it out somebody else, you know, kind of thing. And, um, you know, because we're supposed to take it all in and breathe it all out. Take it all in, breathe it all out. You know, how do you breathe it out? You go do a mitzvah, you go to work, you go, you know, do an act of kindness, you go pray, you know, and things like that is called spiritual breathing or ratzo veshov is the Hasidic terms for that to run and return. Uh, and so you have to keep that working and use that as an elevator. You know, um, I don't know if many of you have seen the Captain Marvel movie, but the reason she can fly is because she um, propels herself with her binary luminescence powers. And so uh, like for the whole first half of the movie, she was just like blasting people with her fists and stuff. And then it's like when she finally realized how everything works, limitation was taken off. She was able to be even more powerful as to propel herself, which is kind of funny because Iron Man does the same thing. He propels himself with his little repulsors, which are also weapons. So it's kind of cool just thinking about that because that's what we have available in Torah. And especially those of us who are attached and acquainted with and getting more acquainted with Mashiach Yeshua. Like it's ridiculous. So the limitations that we take off is is our own inhibitions with our yetzahara. And you know, our yetzahara is is good, you know. Ultimately it's our guardian to help us do the will of Hashem if we so merit, i.e. if we really will and and pray to Hashem and cry out to him and walk in the mitzvot of Hashem be bound to a mitzvah, we can cause our yetahara to be a force to be dealt with as opposed to a force to battle against, you know? And so this is something that's so important for us to understand, especially after we've gone through the Seder and especially after we've gone through the Yom Tov service and especially after we've counted the first night of the Yomer. Now we got like 49 more levels to go and then the big kahuna on level 50. And as we're going through all these, make sure that you really take time. Ask Hashem to help you increase. Ask Hashem to help you elevate. Ask Hashem to help you ascend. And don't get crazy. Do do what you can, you know. But really, you know, what am I doing in my everyday life that I can use to draw me to Hashem? You know, so look for those moments. If you're waiting, you know, like if you're in a waiting room of some sort or if you're in line standing somewhere, you know, think about the Aleph Bet. Think about something from the Aliyah a day. Think about what's the Haftarah this week. Think about what's what day is it on the Hebrew calendar this week? I mean, come on. Like the very fact that you could even remove yourself from the current Gregorian system calendar and think about the Hebrew calendar, the Hebrew months, what day it is on the calendar, what day it is of the Omer that we have counted the previous night. Because by the way, just a heads up, you don't want to say what Omer you're supposed to count at sundown. You want to say what Omer you previously counted. So where we are right now, on this first day of the Yomer, we say 
if we're trying to figure out, okay, what's the Omer count that we're supposed to do tonight? Well, you say yesterday we counted one Omer. And that's all you have to say. Because you now know when you count the Omer tonight, it's the next number after one. You know, so you don't vocalize it because if you vocalize it, you've now taken away your bracha. And it's just kind of like, okay, well, obviously there's all sorts of levels of stringency that go from very strict to very lenient. So obviously don't like choke people out and throw them up against the wall or something if they shout out your next omer count and you're like you're supposed to count yesterday not today you know we're not there yet i want to see my bracha you know because again you want to rack up on mitzvah right well another mitzvah you can rack up on is being nice and loving your neighbors you love yourself and that means no fighting so there's that but anyway, uh, these are just a bunch of things that we can get real acquainted with because, again, to go back to Rabbi Ari Goldwag's uh, drop on the elements of the Pesach Seder, uh, he was bringing down the comment from the Ari Zal in the Haggadah that, or the Haggadah, that uh, we have to place ourselves in a state of redemption first so that we can partake of the redemption of Mashiach and by default be a part of the exodus that we read about during the Seder. So in other words, we have to begin the Geula in our own heart, in our own mind, in our own being, in our own homes, in our own towns and cities and communities, and then in our own world, okay? So, like, it has to go, like, in and out. And as we do that, then Mashiach comes, because Mashiach comes with the Geula, is what's brought down as well in that insight. That Mashiach, become, that Mashiach comes because of the Geula. And if you think about Sanhedrin 98, that Mashiach is going to come in two ways. He's either going to come riding on a donkey or he's going to come on the clouds of glory. And it's depending on if we merit or not. So again, think about Mashiach coming in on a donkey because Kalal Yisrael did not merit it to be so. And remember, I brought down that the Haggadah, that the Haggadah, Slika, that I got to uh, read for the second night Seder that I was a part of. Uh, it has a timeline in there and it talks about, you know, the time frame of Mashiach's life, you know, and it says that uh, around that time frame is the highest point of the population of Yehudim on the globe. Like this round earth that we have. Like he came during the height of our filling the earth at a whopping 2% of global, you know, um, what's that global population? Yes. So we were, we made up 2% of the earth's population during the days of Mashiach walking here on the earth. So, you know, so when that time was happening, we were just out of our battle with the, with Greece, you know, and the whole Hanukkah story. And then a few hundred years after that, Rome is now starting to poke their ugly head up, 
you know, and nobody's doing the whack-a-mole thing with it. And they're just kind of like, you know, I think it might be fine. You know, Olympics are cool. Sports are cool. And, you know, people, you know, like to expose themselves. And, you know, that's cool. And it's just kind of like, no, it's not. (laughs) You know, because we're supposed to be modest people. You know, we're supposed to serve a shim. And there's a way that the temple service is supposed to be ran. And then you got the fallout of the two uh, houses of Hillel and Shammai. Hillel being the more gracious strength or more gracious and lenient of Halakha and customs and things like that with Hillel or with Shammai being the more stringent of the two groups. And they were also known to get very violent if someone didn't hold up to their stringency. So you kind of have, is it going to be Hillel or is it going to be Shammai? Like which Halakha is going to be the general practice? And interestingly enough, Mashiach Yeshua mostly sided with Hillel, not, not to mention the fact, this is a sidestep, not to mention, not to seem biased or anything, but Mashiach and Hillel have the same lineage as well as Gamliel, by the way, who was the Rebbe of Shaul. And also Gamliel was a uh, member or seater in the Sanhedrin. He was seated. He was a member of the Sanhedrin, basically a member of the Hume chamber, you know, and now you got the fact that Hillel and Gamliel being descendants of, you know, Yehuda, David, that whole lineage. By the way, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who their names actually, Azariah, Mishael, Hananiah, they're also in that same lineage. So there's all of that. And so Hillel is kind of like a big, you know, yeah, let's do this. You know, that's why he's called Hillel the Great, you know, like, uh, there, the Talmud brings down an account of there was a, a person who was not Jewish and they wanted to learn the whole Torah and convert, you know, and it was just like he went to Hillel, he went to Hillel, Hillel standing on. He said, oh, by the way, also, as you teach me the whole Torah, please stand on one foot. And he's like, OK, I can do that. Do unto others as you desire to be done unto you and go. And that's it. And it's just kind of like, what? And then you have the fact that Mashiach brings up that same kind of thing, you know, as far as what whatever we're doing to others, you know, don't do something unless you want that to be done to you kind of thing. So there's that whole picture. And then you got Shimei, by the way, who is more stringent and uh, Mashiach actually sides with Shimei on one thing as far as the the kiddushin between a chatan and kala, a husband and wife, that, you know, the only way to um, get to receive a get and go through the process is if there is an act of uh, infidelity. So with Hillel, it was like, if she burned your food, then, you know, write it up, let's do it kind of thing. And it's just like, oh, that's Okay, so lenient, that's way lenient. And Mashiach was like, yep. And that's why Hashem made Adam and Hashem made 
Hava, you know, he made one man and made one woman and they were to cleave to one another and become one flesh. It was just kind of like, wow, that's it. So that's the, the backdrop. That's the scene of what's going on. So you can imagine what's going on in the leadership to the lay leaders, to the general community of Israel. Uh, the converts, man, I don't even know, like, which way is up on that. Like, how do you even... You know, right? Obviously, there are lots of uh, generals, you know, who were coming to faith, you know, um, and things like that. As far as the army leaders and things like that, there's lots of conquests and people who want to rule the world. All that's going on. But all of that to say, in the Beit HaMikdash, Rome was buying out the priesthood, buying out the Leviim. And so the actual legit Kohanim and the actual legit Leviim, chances are uh, it definitely is a slim to none that they were actually in their roles that they were supposed to be in. Which means people who occupied those positions who were offering the Corbinot may or may not have been legitimate people to fulfill that role and those roles were also subjugated to the rising Roman influence. So you could imagine what that causes with the Kedusha and with the leadership of Yisrael. You know, this is why there's such a, you know, Mashiach is like, come on, guys, you know, this information, you know, John three, you know, with Noctimon, him and the conversation there with the being born again, you got the whole thing of eat my flesh, drink my blood and people freaking out. And I know you did not just heal this guy on the Shabbat. Who do you think you are? Like, you don't do work on Shabbat. Why are you violating the Shabbat? What's wrong with your Talmudine out there harvesting the fields? And it's just like, first of all, they ain't got no kind of equipment. They ain't got no kind of like things to put the harvest in they're just eating grain heads literally right off the plant it's the equivalent of picking an apple off of an apple tree like an apple and you're calling that harvesting seriously and then you think about what mashiach brings down in that uh account that he's like don't you remember when like david totally like went in the the mishkan and and like straight up took bread off the king's table, you know? Oh, wait, King David took bread off the king's table and gave it to his men? Okay, just think about that. Selah, and we're going to take our our harvested, quote-unquote, grain with us and eat it, you know, to go, because y'all are crazy. But anyway, so Mashiach is here during this time, and what happened? Nobody was ready for the redemption. Nobody was even like sticking with Mashiach. I mean, when he was handed over, you know, the whole strike the shepherd and the the sheep, the flock, they flee. You know, that completely happened. There wasn't this glorious like, oh, king, we're welcoming you. We're ready, you know, to be redeemed and, you know, to really... Uh, wipe out Amalek and to really, you know, desire the the final redemption, you know, and, and really be a light to the nations because they weren't even a light to themselves. Baseless hatred, that's going on, you know, and kind of things. And so he came riding on a donkey. 
and no one queued on and well someone did queue on that and they didn't like it and they did what's called plotted ways to get him when there wasn't a crowd surrounding him so that they could sentence him to death and that was his reception so it's like here comes your mashiach here comes your king no that ain't my king we're gonna kill him as soon as we get a chance we're gonna kill him but yeah that's that's how we treat our king and it's just like what of course he's gonna ride in on a donkey and of course it's gonna be very offensive because now if you know the source sanhedrin 98 which was oral at the time which we're going to talk a lot about oral today because i mean Rebbe griffin did such a beautiful drop on that this past shabbat yom tov um about things that were oral because none of yokanan anything matt or matidiahu mark luke yokanan acts you know all of the igerot you know to rome and to Colossi, to corinth to kepha none of that was written down that was all oral you know like everything that was going on because unless you were in corinth you didn't have that letter because it was specifically sent to corinth so if you're over in Colossi wondering about what shaul told corinth you don't know unless someone tells you you don't have anything to read so i mean these are just things that we have to really like think about and engage in and get real acquainted with so that we can get on the right track and bring the final redemption and when mashiach shows up we don't kill him but we bow before him and cast our crowns that's the way we welcome our king but i digress so <clears throat> Mashiach is riding in on a donkey and those who know Sanhedrin 98 they're like oh smack us in the face why don't you we're not worthy of the redemption and it's just like okay so there's a way to take reproof right like this thing called Musar and like it's not happening so yeah hence why he's handed over and Rebbe Griffin on uh, this week's Aliyah day for Pesach he brings down that the Bothesians who are related to the Sadducees, the ones who say you should count the Omer from the Yom Rishon and not on the 16th of Nisan, whenever that, uh, whenever the 16th of, Nisan, 16th of Nisan, which is the actual day is, don't count the Omer on that day, just wait till the Yom Rishon. So if the 16th of Nisan happens on a Thursday, then you're going to count the Omer like four days late. And it's just kind of like, well, how about that? But anyway, <clears throat> I digress. So when 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 the Moed comes up for Shavuot, you're not going to be ready for it because you're going to be behind, like way behind. You're literally going to do the epitome of missing the bus. So anyway, so, you know, people who know Sanhedrin 98, they're not ready for that. And uh, they're just like, don't tell us we're not worthy. And instead of fixing it, they made it worse. And so here's our opportunity. You know, in this generation, we have an opportunity to fix it. We have an opportunity to outright demand, you know, the Geula and ask Hashem fervently to make us worthy of the redemption and live lives that reflect what we're crying out for. So I bring all that up because just talking about uh this day of first fruits the 16th of nisan this is this is the the playing field this is the battlefield that we are now on so 
one more drop on the Seder plate. Well, two more drops. This is one. Don't drop the Seder plate, though. Just a drop on the Seder plate. Like how we drop on the carpus or drop on the maror, drop on the lamb shank bone, you know, stuff like that. I want to go to Rabbi Anava. This is a wonderful book that uh, Dr. Sakal blessed me with. It's called Mashiach is Coming. Are you ready? And it looks like Doomsday, World War Three, and all sorts of crazy darkness. But then there's a little light because there's like a picture of the third Beit HaMikdash. And you're just like, oh, but all this other stuff, man, it don't look good. So, yeah, anyway. Uh, the beautiful thing is the cover is just kind of like, whoa. And then you get into the book and you're like, oh, you know, like all sorts of sources that you just you should be aware of. And one of them being that we can sweeten the redemption and we can speed it up. So that we're not waiting out the set time of the Geula, which is where after all of the horrible stuff in Revelation takes place. Everything in Revelation can be dialed down like Ant-Man style to very, very little, little Thomas trains, you know, to where it's just like, you know, not as globally uh, disruptive <laughs> as it could be. You know, so we have the merit to do that because why? Mashiach called us salt and light. Lakute Torah brings down that salt is sprinkled on every offering because salt mitigates judgment. And this is the meaning of on our non-Pesach weeks, us dipping the challah in the salt. We're mitigating judgment. We're sweetening the judgment. And so if we live lives of Shuva and there's a small group of us doing so, then that's how we bring the Geula in a speedy time. Like that's how we hasten the day of Hashem and also sweeten the judgments for the redemption. It's also important to know that when you're wearing tefillin, you're also sweetening the judgments as well. So anyway, things like uh, sweetening the judgments, speeding up the redemption and, and everything, that's in this sefer that Rabbi Anaba has called Mashiach is coming. Are you ready? Me? I'm ready. You know, obviously I'm not ready as far as like I could be doing more things, which that's why we're counting this Omer and I'm ready to do those more things so that I'm more ready. Because I, I really need him to be here like yesterday and I really wanted to shake Eliyahu's hand and uh all sorts of stuff and wanted to watch him finally drink his cup of wine which is like at least two thousand years old that's some that's probably some pretty strong wine right there if you think about it but anyway the redemption can come with mashiach on the clouds of glory and i tell you what that those of us who believe in mashiach yeshua who constantly make ourselves nothing but dust and ashes who live like superheroes to be search and destroy of our own Yetzirah and bringing in the love of Hashem to all mankind. I guarantee you he will come in on the clouds of glory. And so I would like to declare that we shall do that. So here we go. Rabbi Anava. This is from page 99. It says history proves to us that before there is a Geula, which is redemption. First, there must be an exile. We're kind of in it, and we've been in it for too long. People often think that the first exile is Mizraim, but it was really 
the Mabul, Noach, the flood in the times of Noach. Although the entire world was destroyed, what happened was a spiritual and physical cleansing. After the flood, the world became a different actuality in spiritual and physical terms. In our own existence, sometimes we perceive to be an unfortunate calamity or what we perceive to be an an unfortunate calamity is really God's greatest chesed or kindness. Again, that's bitakon. So when we are in our own existence and sometimes what we perceive to be an unfortunate calamity is really God's greatest chesed or kindness. Because you have to understand something too. This is a little paraphrase dropped from the Ramkal on uh, Derek Hashem that suffering brings atonement. And obviously that's in Talmud and Midrash, like everywhere, about the righteous suffering to bring atonement. You know, I brought that down actually a few weeks ago from the Zohar, which was ridiculous because G. Shekel was going on a rant about that or not a rant. He was just blowing up stuff. Uh, like Tasmanian devil, <laughs> just dropping bombs. I'm like, dude, you're going to hurt something like, man. But anyway, suffering is very, very uh, cleansing and atoning and purifying. So, yeah, that's why life is hard sometimes because Hashem is being very, very nice to us to bring us some atonement because, boy, do we need it. But, you know, only for time. And then the next statement goes on to say in this same page, it says in the same vein, Jews endured 210 years of intense suffering during the Egyptian exile. Although it was long and harsh, it was through this suffering or cleansing that the Jewish people merited to see godly revelations. The nation merited the splitting of the Yom Suf and ultimately received our holy Torah at Har Sinai. I want you to pick up on what it said. This 210 year Egyptian exile was long, it was harsh, and it was through this suffering or cleansing. Suffering, cleansing, is it suffering, is it cleansing? Yes. And it says that the Jewish people merited to see astounding godly revelations like, you know, splitting of the Yom Suf, which was, you know, just that wasn't a big deal, obviously. Right. Just, just pardon every single body of water that exists on the face of the earth. Yeah, that was merited through exile. Also, this one time where Shem like blows up a mountain without it blowing up. And opening up all of the worlds to the highest heavens so that even the slaves and servants of the children of Israel saw more prophetic visions than Yehezekiel. Like, for real? Because Yehezekiel, the way Yehezekiel opens up chapter one, what was that? It's like, oh, yeah, that's that's baby talk. People at Harsina saw more than that. It's just like, oh, OK, well, then. To quote my good Haver, Ish um, Chasid, <laughs> well then, it's like that. <laughs> anyway, I love it when he does that. It's cool. So then, continuing on, it says, we can only attempt to understand what it meant to be standing at Har Sinai. 
since the revelation of godliness was so awesome, God descended upon Mount Sinai in a fire as the people looked on and shook with fear. Their souls left their bodies after hearing only the first two commandments. Hmm. Yeah, about that. It's like, all right, two down, eight to go. Uh, no, 613 down, no more to go. Moshe, you go get them. Right? That was kind of the response of the people. Anyway, uh, it says their souls left their bodies after hearing only the first two commandments. The people literally died from the intensity of this revelation and were revived by Hashem Almighty. So, side note, the people died, but Moshe didn't. And by extension, anything that happens to Moshe normally happens to Yehoshua. So we don't hear about Moshe or Yehoshua dying and being resurrected. We just hear, yeah, Hashem speaking. All right. Baruch Hashem, Nasebi Nishma, Amen, Amen, Amen. King Yehidaton. You know, they're like shuckling like crazy and everybody else is out. It's just like, oh, two Mashiachs are just standing up. Okay, cool. That's that's fine. All right, everybody, wake up. Here we go. Let's try this again. Commandment number three. And then we get this statement. They heard God's voice and found it unbearable, pleading with Moshe Rabbeinu to be the intermediary. We cannot relate to what it means to have stood at Har Sinai. So continuing on the last part here. So we see that before the Jewish people were able to receive the Holy Torah, they had, they had to endure 10, 210 years of intense spiritual cleansing, which is also suffering. Extrapolating to contemporary times, can you imagine how great the godly revelation will be after 2000 years of suffering? I mean, cleansing, I mean, suffering. The reward will be immeasurable and far beyond what we can conceive. Herein lies the problem. Who will merit to see the redemption? Do you know what merit one needs in order to see the redemption happen in a physical body? Let's go back in time. Thirty three hundred years. The Jewish people were slaves physically, mentally, emotionally. Their lives were bitter and full of despair. When Moshe Rabbeinu came, no one acknowledged that he was indeed the Redeemer, the answer to their prayers. After performing miracles, the people still didn't believe in him and in the possibility of their leaving Mitzrayim. Today, nothing has changed, and people stubbornly refuse to believe in the possibility of a Redeemer, Mashiach. That's enough of that. So, I think it's very interesting that to think that we could bring the redemption probably makes us seem like we're crazy. And I think it's super interesting that to be considered to be spec op, avenger, superhero, fighters of hastening the day of Mashiach and making proselytes and being a light to the nations sounds so crazy. To think that who are we to be able to do this? And how in the world can we really expect Mashiach to return much less on the clouds of glory or much even more so on the clouds of glory? So at at the best, Mashiach returns on the clouds of glory or at least 
Mashiach just returns in general. And it's just like, yeah. So I think about that mind frame and it's just kind of like, may we not be like we were when we were in Mitzrayim with our shortness of breath due to Wi-Fi and sports and news and politics and all sorts of mundane things that tie us up and sever us from really growing in depth with Hashem. It's okay to be clueless about not knowing who won the Super Bowl or who uh, got drafted or, you know, who... uh, who's doing what in the stock market or whatever, like, it's okay to be not aware of those things. Why? Why do I say that? Because, you know, where are we ultimately supposed to be? We're supposed to be at the temple. Ultimately, we're supposed to be partaking of the great wedding feast with Mashiach. So I'm bringing all this up is because I'm remembering that before my conversion, the last thing that I got to do was a uh, a rap album as PHX and that was my mantra uh, because I went by the name Phoenix on fire for God POK is off the runway I LAX this trust in my father is kingdom business okay anyway so stuff like that but uh POK Phoenix of the kingdom kind of thing and so uh PHX I made into my short mantra as passionate hype and extreme which is so funny okay this is a lot of just swerve I got so many sources I need to get to I don't know why I'm bringing this up hopefully it's to make myself more personal to you so that you understand yeah I mean what I say but anyway um as a met the way I got my name was because uh, a wonderful uh gentleman who was very instrumental in making me fired up and zealous for Torah. He uh, designed music covers. And I was like, yeah, man, I'm going to make my first like Jewish Hebrew like rap album. Like I'm ready to do this. And, you know, he was just kind of like, OK, so what's your name and what's going to be the album title? I was like, it's going to be uh, audience of one. And uh, I'm going to do that. Yeah. So. He was just like, okay, so we can do audience of one. That's cool. I'm thinking we'll do like a brunch microphone, like on fire. And he's just like, okay, so your rap name is what? And I go, Phoenix. He goes, oh, no, no, no. We don't want to confuse people with some kind of Greek God or something. I'm like, come on, man. The Phoenix was in the Bible. It really was, by the way, Jewish sources do bring down that there was an actual Phoenix on the ark and he was blessed by Noah because he never complained about his food other animals were getting all crazy one of them was a lion who scratched noah and caused him to bleed and all sorts of stuff but the phoenix was like "Eh, i'm not uh, he'll get to me when he gets to me and noah's like oh my gosh out of all this craziness i forgot to feed the phoenix like my bad you know and he goes up to him and phoenix like okay yeah you know i understand i get it you got a lot going on yeah animals could talk but anyway, uh, this is me expounding on the Midrash. This is a Midrash of the Midrash. This is like the legend of a Met now. <laughs> but anyway, so the Phoenix like was blessed by Noah to live forever. And so that's the whole thing why the Phoenix goes, flies, lays an egg in a nest and sets a nest on fire. Everything burns down and then it's like, boop, 
new phoenix and it's just like he flies away and then until he needs to come regenerate himself that's what happens and so i was just kind of like okay so maybe that's not the best name for you homeboy if you're trying to like branch out into jewishness you know and, and be a rapper and stuff go with something more simple and i was like okay fine fire i'll be fireman i'll be ace man or something i love ace like that's that's it he's like okay i'll see what i can do and so he did that, you know, you know, bless this guy because he was very, very just kind of like firm, but very like loving at the same time. And may we all be like that. And so he he ends up just a whole prophetic thing just happens. He puts the olive tab on there and then he puts the microphone and he puts a mem on the microphone and a bronze color like the microphone's a bronze color and the mem is like this red color and then there's a flame coming off the microphone and i'm like okay i get the olive top because you know i'm bringing the word and everything that's cool and i guess uh, i know h starts with an olive so that's cool i don't know what the top is for and then he's like well you know like one of the things about the the fire on the altar is that it's an h tamid it's a fire without ceasing and i'm like say what you know like that's crazy the, the fire that doesn't go out oh my gosh and then he's like and so here's the deal when you look at the microphone the microphone is bronze and the microphone is the altar you're the altar because okay so swerve from my swerve now when you know how like the word of a shem is a shem kind of thing like the way we speak our words, our words are who we are. They're the essence of who we are. So like understanding how Mashiach and Hashem are one, are we not one with our words? That's why it's important for us to mean what we say and to really make sure we know we could either bring life with our words or we can bring death with them because we're connected to them. And ultimately, we're accountable for whatever our words do. So it's just kind of like, okay, so now we can understand Hashem and Mashiach a little bit better. But anyway, I continually digress back on track to my digression to get back on track to the teaching. Anyway, so it's like, okay, so I am a sacrifice on the altar. And I'm like, what's the word for altar? And he's like, Mizbiach. And it's like, okay, so we got Aleph Tav, the Eshtamid on the Mizbiach. And I'm like, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. Aleph, Mim, Tav. That's an acronym. Aish, Mizbeach, Tamid, Emet. And I'm like, Emet? That, that sounds cool. I could go with Emet, which could be, you know, the condensing of Aish, Mizbeach, Tamid, because ultimately I'm that crazy, uh, which is ultimately what I'm going to. I am that crazy to where I will literally take on the name Aish, Mizbeach, Tamid, because man, I don't play like I want Hashem and I want him bad, you know, kind of thing. And I got stuff in my life that needs to get burnt straight up, you know, kind of thing. So I'm like, yeah, I'll be Aish Mizbeach Tamid. And he's like, okay, I admire what you're doing here, but Aish Mizbeach Tamid is not a proper name. So you're going to have to work on that, but here's your album cover. And I'm like, oh man, Baruch Hashem, bless you so much, you know, kind of thing. So, uh, again, this leads me to an Arab Shabbat table. And what happens at the Arab Shabbat table does not stay at the Shabbat table. 
to finish that thought. But at this Shabbat table, uh, we were going around and we were talking about Hebrew names and stuff because we're as a convert, you take on a Hebrew name if you so choose. And I'm like, man, psh, if I so choose, what kind of question is that? Of course I choose, man. I'm, I'm crazy. I do this, man. It's, it's game time. Like, I ain't, I ain't playing around, you know. So where do I go? And it was just like, okay, so what's your toy portion? Toy portion is by a shove. Yosef gets thrown into a pit. It's like, okay, uh, so you want to go with the name Yosef? No, that doesn't even sound right. First of all, that wasn't my original. Uh, Joseph was not my original uh, government name anyway. So it's like, okay. And then it's just kind of like, okay, so who else is in your tour portion? Okay, any other brothers, uh, specifically Judah is mentioned. I'm like, no, nah, I don't like Judah uh, as far as the name. I love Judah, though. Like, don't get don't get that twisted. It's like Simeon. Uh, uh-uh, nope, don't like that one. Uh, yeah, I'll, I think I'll just go with the Met, you know, because that that obviously sounded cool because I can't go by Ashmans Bayak Tamid for some reason. So uh, anyway, so there you go. That's how I got my name Met, by the way. And the way I got my name Shomer Man was because we renamed all of the Avenger characters and gave them Jewish mantras and was like, who are these people? And it's like, oh, yeah, of course. Rabbi Griffin is Captain America, who is Captain Israel. And then, uh, you know, this store guy is the Mighty Hover. And so obviously that's Menashe with this, a crazy way of speaking, but very, very powerful. Don't mess with him. And he's just the epitome of what it means to be a hover. And then it's just like, oh, yeah, I don't know anybody boisterous that can be called incredible and like love flexing and like hulking out and stuff like a Talmud of some sort. And it's like, oh, yeah, of course, that's me, Kyle. OK, OK, cool. Shummer man. Of course, that's a man. He loves technology. He's very witty. He loves quipping and punning. So, yeah, why not? Just give it to him. He, I guess he can work it out. And it's just like, yeah, I'll figure it out. I'll build something. I'll put it together. I'll piece it together. I'll work my way out of this. So anyway, uh, that's how I got Shomer Man. But back to Amet. So there you go. You know my name is Amet now because it actually literally means Ace Mizbeach Tamid. And that's my purpose. And I understand that I'm the fire that burns on the altar. And I it's up to me to not let it go out. And I plan to make that fire as big as possible. And so uh, anyway, so back to the PHX, the PHX Passionate Hype and Extreme overlaid with the Aish Mizbeak Tamid, because in order to be an Aish Mizbeak Tamid, fire on the altar without ceasing, I have to be very passionate. I have to be very hype and I have to be very extreme. So it's just kind of like, yeah, let's do this. And so I had a song called I Get Crazy. And I was like, passionate, hyping extreme, 365, getting life of my king, 366 when it comes to that leap, moving with the flock, see I am his sheep. He is my shepherd, no little boat peep, he's the lion and the lamb, you know, kind of all this thing. Don't test this team, because we do get mean. Where we your tight saints, we'll bring the sword out the sheath. Buck with the scriptures, who's down, he lifts up, transform minds, present evil, it disfigures. Okay, anyway, so. I get crazy, you know, and it was just like, get crazy, get crazy, get crazy, get, yeah, get, 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 you know, I was just going, I was literally getting crazy and it's just like, yeah, so that's what it's going to take for you to be the convert that you are and for you to be Shummer Man, for you to be a Met and for you to bring in the redemption. You have to be crazy. And it's just like, cool, I can be crazy for a shim. 
I incidentally enough or insignificantly, whatever you want to call it. I also did a song called Crazy for a Shim. <laughs> you know, get crazy for the king, crazy for the king, crazy. Yeah, I did that too. And so it's just like, so obviously Hashem has worked out this path in my life to understand I need to do something that's really crazy, but doing something that's really crazy is going to be actually legit because it's going to make me in a position to cry out for Mashiach and Bezrat Hashem make uh, make a worthy, uh, opportunity for his return, you know, and, and Bezrat Hashem, I inspire people to also do the same thing, to cry out that we are all worthy to see the return of Mashiach with the rebuilding of the third temple, the gathering in of all the lost sheep of Israel and proselytes from the four corners of the earth and for the whole world to be redeemed for everything to be resolved like we're all desperately trying to do in so many ways and it's just kind of like oh i wish you wouldn't do it that way i wish you would do it the way hashem wants you to do it because that's the only way it's going to work and it's just like the very way that's going to work people are like no i don't want it that way i want to do it this way and it's just like you're making it worse and it's just like i don't want to listen to you don't tell me what to do you're not my king don't judge me it's just like ah you know okay but you get my point we have to be crazy and it's totally fine. It's totally cool because obviously go back to the drosh from maybe Griffin this past Yom Tov where Mashiach is speaking to this whole group. And he's like, yeah, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. It's a true life right here. And, you know, those who eat my flesh, you'll never, you know, you'll never be hungry. You know, I'm the true bread. I'm going to give you eternal life. And everybody goes, yeah, this is a hard message and we're out. And so he turns to his twelve. So he goes from a big following down to 12. And it's just like, okay, are you guys going to leave me too? And Kaif was like, no, where else can we go? You have the words of life. So, and they ain't leaving. I'm not leaving. And let's go. Let's do this. And that's what ultimately we got to be. So Avengers or Autobots mount up. Okay. So let's go. You get crazy. All right, so with the time that I have now left, because I've taken up so much of it, <clears throat> let's let the rest of the sources fly. Just want to drop in on the Seder real quick. The 15 orders. There's a commentary on the numbers, what they all mean. It's called the Jewish Wisdom in the Numbers. And it says this about 15. There is a 15-step journey toward the greatness of, or a 15 step journey towards greatness was the Israelites ascent to holiness at the Exodus. So the way it talks about 15 is it says this represents ups and downs. This is the steps that man can take to rise or to fall. And when we climb these steps, it represents an upward ascent to God. One where a Jew, both individually and nationally, can reach the greatest spiritual heights. So on this 15-step journey was what we did in the, in the Exodus to ascend towards holiness. It says there was a 15-day period between the beginning of their first mitzvah relating to the first day of Nisan and continuing up to their liberation 15 days later. That was uncalled for. Okay. The annual commemoration of this national experience on the night of the 15th of Nisan is the Seder. Because you realize when we start our Seder, we leave the 14th of Nisan and go into the 15th. 
So technically the 15th of Nissan is the hot button. That's kind of like when you hit, don't touch the red button. And it's like, oh, too late. We did it. We're blasting off. Here we go. Houston is going to have a problem. Okay, but anyway, um, it says the Nissan, 15th of Nissan is the Seder, whose proceedings are famously set forth in a 15-word formula. And that's why we announce every one of the sections of the Seder that we went through. So when we did Kadesh, Urchatz, and so on and so forth, like we elevated just through saying those words. And we brought ourselves into a place of spiritual geula. And one, uh, kab a Kabbalic, a Kabbalistic, which I have renamed to Kabbalistic, like a ballistic missile kind of thing. Uh, insight on that is when we partook of the elements of the Seder plate, we planted the roots of spiritual freedom from our exile within us. So now, as we count the Omer, make sure we water it and let Hashem bring the growth. Okay, but anyway. It says, uh, Yisrael's redemption set into motion a sequence of events, just kind of like what we're in now, in their national development. Each stage of redemption, when examined in isolation, would have itself been sufficient cause for gratitude to God. In total, 15 stages are enumerated at the Seder in the beautiful song, Die, die, enu, die, die, enu. And then it says, which is, it would suffice or it would have been enough. The stages begin with the Exodus and end with the temple and the Holy Land. Boom. Which I think actually was like another 430 years or something. Could be wrong because it's like there was, they got into the land like, you know, um, 47 years later and then for those seven or 40 years later they got into the land seven years they battled and then seven years they took to settle so ultimately it was 54 years total and then after that it wasn't for another few hundred years that it took for them to get the Mishkan established at Shiloh and then for King David's reign and then for Shlomo to uh, be brought up and to build a temple. So by the time that happened, that's what we're kind of looking at. <clears throat> so, yeah, so it's close to 430 years, which is kind of like, OK, so Hashem did the covenant between the parts with Avraham and then said, you know, 430 years it shall be. That your children will suffer until I will give them the land. And it's just like, so 430 years from that point was literally the 15th of Nisan. That was the Exodus. So you kind of got this picture of the time frames going on. And then, you know, the 16th of Nisan, not to be confused with Resurrection Sunday, is what it is. Uh, to go into that, I just want to drop this down because that's found in Parsha Pincus about bringing your Omer on the um, 16th day of Nisan. But right before it gets into all of the Yom Tovim and uh, Parsha Pincus, it starts with the Tamid. And right connected to the Tamid was Moshe asking Hashem to place a leader over the, over the children of Israel in his place. That would take over after him, i.e. there's one who's going to come after me kind of thing. 
just so happened that person's name was Yeshua. So, like, is it any wonder that Yeshua truly is the Mashiach who represents the fulfillment of that prophecy? But anyway, I digress. So, Empire Shapinkis, Bummy Bar 2718. I just was trying to get to the Omer, which is in uh, 20, 20, chapter 28. But I got, I got carjacked right here. It says, God said to Moshe, take for yourself Yehoshua ben Nun. A man in whom there is spirit and place your hand upon him. Rebbe Nachman brings down a man in whom there is spirit can resonate the spirit of every individual. That is cited from Rashi. It's not done yet. This is the Zadok who knows the correct response for each individual and can draw down the spirit of life to him. Lakute Maharon, volume 182. And then because the Zadok is the spiritual source of all souls, he has the spirit to see each person as an individual. I'm totally blue screening and all I see is the pictures of Mashiach Yeshua throughout the Basora accounts. I'm just saying that's all I'm seeing right now. But I'm trying my best to read back to the sources. And then it says he can arouse the spirit and mind within each individual the Zodic has a uniquely great spirit, which is a form of a spirit of prophecy. Therefore, he is the chosen leader. The Zodic possesses the spirit to overcome idolatry and haughtiness. And last one. Woo, man. Nope, not the last one. It's two more. Sometimes when a fire is about to burn out, the wind catches the embers and the flame begins to glow again. So, too, the spirit of the Zodic can, quote unquote, catch the embers of a soul weighed down by depression and rekindle its joy and desire for God. Last one, a man who can bring life and vitality to the spirits of his flock to desire good. Rebbe Nachman, what is wrong with you? Why you do that? Okay, so to the real first fruits, Vayikra 23. Well, the real first fruits, please stand up. Vayikra 23, by the way, is where the get you some of festivals. If you're going to celebrate a holiday, make sure it's one of these. If it's not one of these, Make sure you can find it in the Talmud as something that Kalal Yisrael has done. Something like to the effect of Mordecai celebrated it or Daniel celebrated it or Yeshua celebrated it. None of this stuff that, you know, uh, Chrysostom or uh, who's like the big guru guy, um, the 95 thesis guy, you know, I, I don't, I don't remember his name, but yeah, him, you know, like I, I don't live here anymore. The, the, the CHRIST lives here now, you know, and it's just kind of like, okay, the reformation, uh, Martin Luther. Wow. Good night. Anyway, stuff like that or stuff like Marcion. And yes, I'm talking about the Bugs Bunny holiday who stole the chicken eggs. And now we make our children go look for eggs and teach them to go steal eggs because, you know, that's what Bugs Bunny did. So that's what we need to do. And it's just kind of like, oh, that's 
that's called Messiah's resurrection. It's all about stealing and serving other gods. Okay, no, it's wrong, not good. Um, so yeah, anyway, so just know, believe, trust, and understand. And chapter 23 of Vayikra is where we can find all our holidays, or go to Bami Bar 28 and you can find more holidays, or go to the Talmud and you can find out why we celebrate Hanukkah. And why we celebrate Purim. You can also read the book of Esther and find out why we celebrate Purim. You can also read the Maccabees and understand why we celebrate Hanukkah. And if that wasn't enough, when we celebrate Tuba Av or Tuba Shavat or Tisha B'Av or 17th of Tammuz, you need to also go study those. They're all codified. So... Uh, let's see, check here on time. How we doing? Okay. So it says here, um, and Bami Bar 2310, speak to the Jewish people and say to them, when you enter the land that I'm giving you and reap its harvest, bring an omer of your first harvest to the Kohen. The new harvest, okay, which is called, by the way, um, it says, when you enter the land, I'm giving you and reap its harvest. It says, Uk Zartem et Kedzira. Okay. Uk Zartem et Kedzira, which is reap its harvest. So the new harvest is what that is basically called. Uh, and it says, it also could be uh, translated by this phrase too. Et Omer Reshit Kedzirkem. Okay, that's the Omer of the first of your harvest. So it all has to do with Kedzira and Reshit. Okay, which is, yes, to, to be connected to Bereshit. So when you look at that, this is what we got. Eating can represent either the force that draws a person away from God or the, the force that draws him closer. Okay, because you realize if you don't bring this harvest, you don't eat. I brought that down in the Pesach GYS part two. So check that out. That's kind of crazy. But if you don't bring in your Omer, you do not get to eat. So obviously this is why Resurrection of 16th of Nisan of Mashiach is important because we cannot participate in the resurrection if Mashiach wasn't resurrected. And that is Corinthians 15. So in case I don't get to get to that, just read 1 Corinthians 15. It's legit. All right. So <clears throat> and by the way, he's Shaul is bringing down in there that he says this was passed on to me and I passed it on to you. I.e., this was not written down. The reason I know Mashiach was resurrected is because I was told. Okay. And obviously I had an encounter with him on the way to Damascus at some point. But all that to say, he's telling, he's writing to this group in Corinth and saying, the resurrection was handed down to me. Okay. Like Mashiach being resurrected. And it's also handed down all this other information that I'm telling you. So there you go. So oral Torah is like, that is to be coupled with all of our Torah study, oral Torah. Like if you're doing a Torah study that doesn't include oral Torah, uh, yeah, 
Anyway, <clears throat> just say on that. Adam's eating from the tree represents the opposing force. Okay, so through eating, we can either be drawn close to Hashem or we can be drawn away from Hashem. And so when we ate from the tree, that represented us being drawn away from Hashem. And in, it, the, it goes on here in the statement to say a deed that leads to death. So when we're drawn away and are eating from Hashem, which is like eating from the tree, that's an opposing force and it's a deed that leads to death. Holy eating, on the other hand, leads to life. So in other words, for us to partake of the life and the resurrection of Mashiach, we need to eat his flesh and drink his blood. Because when we do that, that type of eating is what draws us to Hashem. That represents a gravitational pull to holiness. It says we are forbidden to eat from the new harvest until we bring a sacrifice i.e. Mashiach, when he was resurrected, he said, don't touch me. I haven't yet ascended to the father. I haven't gone and finished out the Yom Kippur service. That's why he was wearing all white, just like the Kohen Gadol who wears all white when he goes into the Holy of Holies, the sprinkled blood on the Holy of Holies. So, yeah, so that sacrifice. So he says the sacrifice which elevates our food to the level of holiness. The earth has a gravitational force that draws things towards it. Harvesting represents the opposing force, which is pulling things away from their source. The earth, which people trod upon, represents humility. Arrogance embodies the opposing force. The earth is characterized by the Zodiac, who draws people close to God, which means if the earth is characterized by the Zodiac, then that means the Zadok is humble and he has a gravitational pull going on. And then it says, <clears throat> arrogance is characterized by people whose words and deeds prevent others from drawing close to the Zadok. And then it goes on to say, so if you are being led away from celebrating the festivals or doing things that Yeshua did, you're getting lost in space. Moshe warns the Jews, guard yourselves lest you forget God, Devarim 11:16. When someone is hungry, he will pray to God for food. But after he feels sated, he is likely to become haughty and forget God. Therefore, so this is why, first of all, we do the Birkat Hamazon. Because once we're full, we want to make sure we stay in orbit, stay on the earth, stay grounded. We do the Birkat Hamazon to stay close to the Zodiac. <clears throat> to keep our feet on solid ground. Okay. It says, therefore, we do not eat from the new harvest until we bring a sacrifice to God. Because the very food that we say brachot over would not be available had we not brought the omer. So that's important to know. So if you're not doing your omer count, make sure you're doing it. You got to bring your omer. 16th of Nisan is crucial. All right. So demonstrating that we wish to draw close to him despite having to having to use an opposing force. OK, so in order to draw close to the Zodiac, we have to harvest, which means bring that Omer, which is the opposite of <clears throat> of the gravitational pool. So we have to do something 
opposing to draw us close. So it's like we got to pull back so that we can be like slingshot forward. So <clears throat> this is what the meaning of that is. It says counting the Omer marks the beginning of our ability to draw close to God and receive the Torah. So in order for you to have a better draw, a better draw in and a better pull into Hashem, you have to bring this Omer, which is a pulling away of something. And that pulling away is this Omer offering, which is considered to be barley, which is animal food. And this is our acknowledging that our animalistic behavior possessed us until now. And that from now on, we accept our human responsibility. We acknowledge our strengths and our failings through bringing this offering. We can merit to eat the fruits of our labors. This offering elevated the Jews to a high level. And they began to serve God anew. Because you realize that our animalistic drives, if they're left unchecked, they do pull us out into outer space. And so when we pull what's pulling us, it actually propels us like a rocket back into gravitational pull. So this is beautiful using the opposing force. It's like a jujitsu type move that you use your opponent's momentum against them. If someone throws a punch at you, lean into the punch at the same time as deflecting it. And you can now pull their arm and push them down to the ground. Or do some other kind of strike effect move that you want to do. So a little jujitsu lesson there using opposing force for good. So that's what the Omer count is. So we're drawing out our animal soul and making it submit to Hashem. And continue to cry out and pray for that and, and mean it when you do it. Uh, Pirkei de Rebbe Eliezer, chapter 32, page 127. Remember that one time where like Yitzhak was like, my son, my son, come close to me. Come close. I must talk to you. Please go out and catch some delicious game. Bring me good meal so that I may bless you. And he was talking to Asaph. Yeah, that one time when he should have been doing that to Yitzhak. But, you know, he loved Asaph. And he was thinking, if I bless my son and I die then my son is going to become like super, super righteous, you know, because the death of the father and his and sending out his blessing before his death, you know, that's going to cause such a beautiful Kedusha. And it's just like, well, not with Asav. And obviously Rivka knew that. So she got to work, you know, kind of thing. Anyway, so that whole account, bringing that down, <clears throat> it says, Le'el Pesach, on the night of Pesach, Yitzhak called his elder son, Esau, saying, Tonight, the Malachims recite Hallel. Yep, remember the Hallel that we recited? We recited a few of the Tehillim before we uh, drank the second cup, and then we recited the rest later in our Seder. Yeah, so that thing, the Hallel, the 15 song, Psalms of Ascent. And it says... Uh, Sheer Hamalot. Okay. Yeah. Songs of Ascent. Or a song of Ascent is Sheer Hamalot. Shireem Hamalot is Songs of Ascent. Okay. Anyway. So the Hallel and says, The storehouse of dew is opened. Which, by the way, this is the dew that will resurrect the righteous in the time to come. The dew is the Torah. 
So he's saying tonight the angels are going to recite the Hillel. The storehouse of dew is going to be open. So there's going to be so much opportunity right here. So let's take advantage of it. So he says, prepare a tasty dish for me and I will bless you while I can. But the divine spirit remarked, do not eat the bread of one who has an evil eye. Mishlei 23.6. Okay. Asav went hunting, but was detained through heavenly intervention and failed to trap anything. Said Rivka to Yaakov, son, tonight the storehouse of dew is open and the angels sing songs of praise. In time to come, your descendants will be set free from slavery on this night and they will sing songs of praise. Prepare a tasty dish for your father so that he blesses you while he still can. Because he was well versed in the Torah, Yaakov knew that honoring his father takes precedence over honoring his mother. And was therefore afraid of incurring his father's curse. His mother said, son, a blessing will descend upon you and your children. But any curse will fall upon me alone. As it says, let the curse be upon me. Bereshit 27, 13. Yaakov went and brought two, two kid goats. Yitzhak did exactly or did Yitzhak usually eat two get? Wow. Did Yitzhak usually eat two goat kids? Surely one kid would be sufficient. As it says, a righteous person eats to satisfy his soul. Mishle 13, 25. One goat was for the Pesach and the other was for a tasty dish to be eaten for the Pesach. Or Siga, one goat was for the Pesach offering. The other was for a tasty dish to be eaten before the Pesach. As the Mishnah says, the Pesach offering must be eaten when one is sated. Yaakov entered, saying to his father, sit up and eat the game that I trapped. Bereshit 27, 19 said Yitzhak, the voice is Yaakov's voice, for it mentions the oneness of Hashem and it is engrossed in the thoughts of Torah. But the hands are the hands of Asav, which engage in bloodshed and murder. When they announce in Hashemayim, the voice is Yaakov's voice, for he is praying and studying Torah. There is excitement in Hashemayim. Moreover, when that announcement is heard on the earth, those that listen and respond by praying and studying Torah have a share in the voice of Yaakov. Those who do not listen and do not respond accordingly, neglecting to pray and study Torah, have a share in the hands of Asaph. Rabbi, Rabbi, Rabbi Yehuda says, Yitzhak gave Yaakov ten blessings involving the dew of Hashemayim and the fat of the earth. Bereshit 27, 28. As it says, may God grant you the dew of heaven and the fat of the earth to match the ten utterances with which God created the world. Yaakov left his father walking as if a crown were on his head, like a groom at the side of his adorned bride. Life-giving dewdrops from heaven descended on him, energizing him and turning, in, turning him into a mighty warrior. And so it says, from the mighty hands of Yaakov, from then on, he became a shepherd and a builder of Israel. Bereshit 49, 24. 
Amen. Well, I want to encourage us with that last drop about the voice of Yaakov, because when we cry out, that's what we have partaken in. We've basically become mighty warriors. We've got a crown of living dewdrops from Hashemayim on our head, which causes life and resurrection, and it should energize us and turn us into mighty warriors. So this matches the 10 utterances that we are anticipating on Shavuot and the 10 utterances with which Hashem used to create the world. And this is the 10 plagues that Hashem used to redeem us and set us free. So let us walk like kings and continue to be servants and continue to eat matzah, which is just barely bread. And it is no more than leavened bread. So it is that perfect balance between flour and water and leavened loaf of bread. And uh, we're ascending. So let us continue to ascend and let us walk like kings and let us hasten the return of Mashiach Yeshua. And let's go out there and save the world through Avoda, Torah, and Chesed. Adonai Yimlok Le'olam Vayed. Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Natan Lanu Torah Temet Vekaye Olam Natabetokeinu Baruch Atah Adonai Noten HaTorah Amen Baruch Abba B'Shem Adonai